But when Jesus was alive, the people of God meant the Jews. How many Jews here this morning? Anybody? Not a one. People of God at that time meant Jews and only the Jews. Nobody else was included in the people of God. Uh, And the entire Old Testament is the story of this chosen people, the Jews. The descendants of Abraham, the tribe of Israel. And so the Old Testament, yes, it's a story about, that, that's all about Jesus, but let's be clear, it's a story about God's chosen people and how he was going to save them. And all the way through, that chosen people was starting with Abraham, the Jews. And Jesus was born into a Jewish family, and raised as a Jew. And in our passage, we saw last week Jesus had been contrasting, sort of like we read about in our scripture lesson this morning, he'd been contrasting those shepherds of God's sheep who do not actually care for the sheep and those who do care for the sheep. And he calls himself the good shepherd, the only truly good shepherd. And then suddenly, in our passage this morning, he makes a a completely unexpected point in that context of thousands of years of the chosen people being Jews. Jesus says that there are other sheep that need to be brought in. And he's referring to those who are not Jews. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 12 through 21. John 10 beginning in verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority. To lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? 
Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Jews thought that their hope was in the fact that they were children of Abraham. Jesus, as we've seen, often contradicts this idea in the book of John and makes it clear that just because they're children of, children of Abraham does not mean that they are truly the people of God. In this passage, he fights against that idea in two different ways. The first is he states that the sheep are saved by the shepherd laying down his life for them. So if they thought that they were saved, if they thought that they were all good, as it were, because they were Jews, because they were children of Abraham, when he says that the sheep are saved by the good shepherd laying down his life for them, that's a totally different thing than simply having been born Jewish. Right? There's something else going on there. <clears throat> but the other thing, you could say, well, yeah, but he's going to lay down his life just for, you know, the, the chosen people. And so it'll be for all of the Jews and that's it. But the other way that you see this idea sort of being blown up by Jesus is when he says, when he makes it clear that they, the Jews, are going to be combined with other sheep. Well, if, it, if there are other sheep that are going to be saved through the sacrifice of the Good Shepherd, then it's perfectly obvious that it's not the fact of being born children of Abraham that will save you. And that's good news for us because none of us are Jews, right? But let's return to that let's return to that statement that he makes about laying down his life. Verse uh, in verse 12 he's talking about the wolf snatching and scattering when the hireling runs away the bad shepherds that run away end up causing damage to the flock, right? <clears throat> then in verse 14 he calls himself the good shepherd. And then in verse 15, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, if you think just about shepherds and sheep for a minute, maybe you remember last week I talked about the, uh, the story about the shepherd just a couple hundred years ago who died protecting the sheep. And the thieves, of course, at that point, who killed him, did what? They took all the sheep, right? The flock is stolen at that point. So now here you've got the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. And if, and if you think about it, actual shepherds and actual sheep, this is what they would be, this is what the Jews were familiar with. They would actually be imagining a shepherd with the sheep 
And on the one hand, you've got the bad shepherds who run away, and what happens to the sheep then? They all get destroyed, scattered, chased, eaten. Whatever happens whenever the shepherd runs away, whatever the threat is, has free reign to do anything that he wants, whether it's a thief or a wolf, right? On the flip side, you've got him describing himself as the good shepherd, and he doesn't run away, and that's very noble, right? But then what happens? He dies. And if, you, and if you're somebody who's actually familiar with shepherds and sheep, and you're thinking about that picture, you're thinking, okay, so what? The outcome is the same. The, the bad shepherd that runs away, all the sheep are scattered. The good shepherd doesn't run away but dies trying to protect the sheep. All the sheep are scattered, right? Isn't that still the same outcome? And so Jesus quickly returns to that idea and says, but this is, this is different. <laughs> this is not that I am overpowered but I intentionally lay down my life. I have authority to lay it down and to take it up again. So all of a sudden you're in a totally different idea than when a shepherd is overpowered trying to protect the sheep, fails, and the sheep are all scattered. You see how important that, that difference is. Because it means the difference between the sheep being saved and the sheep not being saved. So if we are the sheep, if we are God's chosen people, then it's absolutely essential that Jesus was not just a man who thought that he could do something good and like many other men who thought they could do something good, ended up being overcome by the powers of evil and put to death, and unable to accomplish the good for others that he was seeking to accomplish. This is not what happened with Jesus, is it? What happened with Jesus is he said, verse 17, I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. That is so important in this story about us being sheep. This is not your overpowered shepherd whose sheep end up being scattered in spite of his best intentions. This is the shepherd who dies as a sacrifice intentionally for the sheep in order that they may be saved. He will not stay dead. He will come back after he dies. He did, and now he will come back and he will defeat his enemies ultimately one day. 
And so when you bring that together with the fact that he says that he has other sheep, those who are not sons of Abraham are going to be brought in and combined with and made one with the fold, in one fold made one people with the Jews, then of course our salvation is of the same sort as the Jews, isn't it? Our salvation is the same kind, the same way. Everybody who is saved is saved by the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. There's no other way for people to be saved. And this is very important when you're interacting with people in uh, mainstream Christianity today who have some sort of an idea that the Jews are kept as a distinct separate people of God. Okay? The Jews were the people of God and what do we read? He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. One flock with one shepherd. Which means you can think of this you can think of this two different ways. Um, in, in the context, you need to realize that what this means is that the Gentiles are made like Jews. The, Gentile, the, the Jews were the people of God, and so the Gentiles are brought in and made one with them. Right? But in our context in America today, where we've got this... this we've still got this strange idea of the Jews being kept as a separate people, all right? It's more helpful probably for us to think about the Jews needing to be like us, Gentiles, brought into the one fold. And in fact, in Romans, that's what uh, Paul talks about, where he talks about the, the tree being, uh, having branches that are grafted in. And that's us, the Gentiles. We're grafted into the tree. And the natural branches are broken off. And he says, but the, but the natural branches, they'll be brought back in. And so as we are the true church, okay, the Jews need to become like us again now. Why does this matter? Well, if you think, uh, if you remember maybe, oh, I want to say it was like a year and a half, two years ago, it might have been more or less. Um, the Roman Catholic Church made a declaration that they were going to stop trying to convert Jews. You guys ever, hear, did you hear anything about that? Well, that's a very politically uh, correct move to make today, Um, but what it means is that the church, the Roman Catholic Church, had decided that the Jews are saved some other way, that they have their own way 
and that because they're God's chosen people going way back as a race, that God saves them if they are simply faithful Jews. Okay? And here what we see is Jesus saying, there is only one flock and only one shepherd. And if you do not have him as the shepherd, then you are not part of that flock. If you refuse to have him as your savior, then you are not a sheep. You're not part of his fold and you are not saved. And so we ought never to have some sort of an idea about the Jews that leaves us unwilling or unable to call them to repentance. Unwilling or unable to warn them about the wrath of God to come. And so in in the broad, totally different than the Roman Catholic Church, in the broad dispensational Christian church of today, you have basically the same exact idea that the Roman Catholic Church has, that that the Jews are somehow still uh, this chosen people that's going to be redeemed in this separate way. And that even even looking forward to the day when the sacrificial system will be reenacted in Israel, in, in Jerusalem. Okay? This is totally contrary to what Jesus is saying here. Now, this, of course, also contrary to many other places in the New Testament, but let's just be very clear here. One shepherd, one flock. Anyone who is not part of that flock is out. And so the question then becomes, are we out as Gentiles? Or Jews that reject Jesus as their Savior, are they out? Because we claim Jesus as our shepherd. And there's only one flock and one shepherd. They're brought together. So how is that going to work? Well, what Jesus says here is one flock, one shepherd, and he's the shepherd. And his laying down of his life is what saves the sheep. And that's good news for the whole world, not just for the Jews. But certainly for the Jews as well, right? Now, why do I spend all this time talking about the Jews? It's kind of politically incorrect, right? Well, the reason I spend all this time talking about the Jews is because this is the the question for us as Gentiles. Is it possible for us to be saved? And the answer very clearly right here is, yes, thankfully. God's people has been expanded. And this is nothing that the Jews should have been surprised by. If you look back into the Old Testament, there are several places where it makes clear that he will bring in the nations. You can see it in the Psalms, you can see it in Jeremiah and various promises about the Messiah, that when he comes, the nations will come streaming in to his kingdom. And that's us. We are the nations that stream in and are brought into his flock. So 
So sometimes we face various temptations to, to uh, turn aside from the truth. All right? And one of those is to think that there's no hope for us. To be tempted to think that there's, uh, that there's no possibility of us being saved. Maybe um, on the flip side, we think that there's reason for hope for us, but that hope isn't in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, why do you think that there's hope for you? The Jews thought that there was hope for them at that time because they had been born descendants of Abraham. Right? Why do you think that there's hope for you? Is it because of the family that you were born into? Does that make you hopeful? Do you look to that as the proof that there's, that there's something good, that there's some reason for you to have hope? Well, that's to make the same error that the Jews made, right? There are a lot of things that we can put our hope in. Generally, uh, what it comes down to is, well, I've been born into a good family, and I have good breeding, and I have a good job, and I have plenty of money, and I'm a generally good person, and therefore I think that if anybody could be saved, I could be saved, right? And how do I know that that's the way you think? Well, I know that that's the way you think because that's who you think also can be saved. People who, like yourself, generally have a good upstanding citizenship, aren't in jail, haven't ever been charged with or convicted of any felony, right? All of the things that you see on a job application. So if you can fill out a job application and have it all good, then you're like, hey, you know what? I think this guy could be a good Christian. Well, that reveals what your hope is in. That reveals what your hope is in. Do you see that? If you think that's what gives you, what, that's what gives them the, any likelihood of being saved, then it means that that's why you think you're saved because you had all of those things. The Jews would have been shocked to think about the dirty dogs, the Gentiles, being saved, being part of the flock. They weren't allowed to eat with them. They weren't allowed to touch them, they weren't allowed to... All of the Old Testament law was set up to make a distinction between the people of God and everybody else, right? The sacrificial system, their dietary laws, all of the ceremonial laws, including circumcision, 
Everything was set up to make a distinction between the Jews and the dogs, the Gentiles. And here all of a sudden is Jesus saying, there are other sheep that I have to bring in and make a part of this fold. That's like our, uh, you know, I, th there's nobody really that we have that kind of intense distinction with today. Um, but there are people that we feel like are totally other from us and that we don't have any real connection to or any ability to hope that they would be saved. And generally, it's those people who are uh, in jail, those who have committed crimes, those who are of a different race than us, who are at a totally different socioeconomic level than us, right? We feel like they're totally other from us. We don't have any real way to connect with them. And what Jesus makes clear here is that none of those things matter about being made in connection. What matters is, are they sheep or not? And if they are sheep, you are of the same fold, and you are united with them under one shepherd. And so that's beautiful. Because it means that there's hope for Gentiles, you. Now, of course, I bring that forward and I apply it today, and I say, it means that there's hope for all of those other people out there that you think of as dirty. And why do you think of them as dirty? Well, the Jews had, a, had good reason to think of the Gentiles as dirty. Because the whole law was meant to demonstrate to them that they needed to be clean and that everybody else was dirty. And that all of the things that those people did made them dirty. The fact that they ate bacon and cheeseburgers made them dirty. The fact that they, that they wore clothes with mixed materials made them dirty. The fact that they didn't get circumcised made them dirty. The fact that they, what, I mean, the fact that they worked on the Sabbath for the Jews made them dirty. And so there were, there, were, there were a lot of things that were true in the Jewish understanding of the Gentiles being totally other and totally dirty. But what Jesus says here is that, they are, that there are actually sheep out there. And this is, this is the only reason that there's hope for us. And it's also the reason that we have to have hope for the other people that are out there who look just plain dirty to us. And it's not because we're wrong, that there's nothing wrong with being a prostitute, that there's nothing wrong with being a tax collector in the time of Jesus or today, uh, that there's nothing wrong with uh, being a thief or that there's nothing wrong with doing drugs, that there's nothing wrong with all of these things that make people feel dangerous and dirty and other to us, right? In point of fact, those things are wrong and do cause problems. They are sin. 
They do have negative consequences on those people and on the people around them. But somehow there's sheep out there. And the way Jesus speaks about them, they're sheep already. They're just not in the fold yet. They're sheep already, they just haven't been saved yet. And so there's this, there's this uh, sort of subtle description of the fact that God has chosen people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be a part of his kingdom there. They're sheep already. They're chosen by God already to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of his sheepfold. They just need to be brought in. They need to be saved. But their salvation is guaranteed. How? Well, because he lays down his life. That's how any of the sheep are saved, right? Not because of anything in themselves that they have done. Not because of anything about their life circumstances or their character. And how did Jesus determine to do that work? Well, not the way we would have planned it, right? Probably the way we would have planned it is, first of all, to make sure he didn't die. And then to make him give some sort of big announcement and call everybody around the whole world, you know, to come to Jerusalem. And then lead an uprising against the Romans. That's what the Jews were looking for, right? And so today, that's our temptation. The same kind of political answer to our problems. Well, you know, if we could just get somebody in charge of the military who actually knows what they're doing then maybe we could return to our greatness again as a nation, right? Or if we could just get somebody in charge of the Fed who knew what they were doing, then maybe we could stop having all of these monetary problems. Or if we could just get somebody into uh, power who knew that taxation was theft, then we'd, we'd have it all made again, right? And these are all the things that we look to for salvation. If we could just get somebody you know, into power who didn't believe in original sin and would abolish all of the authority in the land and get rid of all of the police and everything like that, then we'd be good. No, we wouldn't. No, we wouldn't be good if we got rid of police. We wouldn't be good if we got rid of the Fed. We wouldn't be good if we got rid of the Department of Education. We wouldn't be good if we got somebody in charge of the military who was actually semi-competent dealing with international relations, we wouldn't be good. We'd still be bad. Because those things aren't our hope. Now, I don't mean to say that those things don't have an effect on the nation. They do, right? But they're not our hope. The hope of any sheep is that the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. And therefore, no matter where you live, you're saved. 
no matter which century you live in, in that nation. If you lived in Rome in the second century, where it was kind of at its height of power and just sort of in it, in, into its decline, there was hope for you. There was hope for you as a sheep if you lived under Caligula or Nero or under Augustus or under Constantine. There was hope for the sheep. There is hope for the sheep. And it has nothing to do with the nation. You know, uh, missionaries, we've sent missionaries out for a hundred years from this nation, longer, right? Um, And missionaries go over to Africa, and what's our goal if we send missionaries to Africa? Is the goal that we're, we're looking to make Americans? No, our goal is not that we're looking to make Americans. Our goal is that the sheep that God has already set apart for his kingdom would hear the gospel, would repent and believe and be added to his number. Right? And the same holds true here in Cincinnati. This is the good news. The good news is that if your neighbor is blue-collar, there's hope for him. If your neighbor is white-collar, there's hope for him. The good news is that if you're the opposite, you can still have an impact. That's the beauty of there being one shepherd and one flock. So why do you think that you're savable? What is it about you? It's nothing about you. It's the fact that God said, you're a sheep. That's it. On what basis did he do that? Because you're white? No. And I use that, of course, because we would never, ever say that. But of course, I know it's the way you think. Did you guys see the video? I hope you didn't. Did you see the video from the helicopter of the black guy getting shot a couple months ago? There's this <clears throat> statement from, the, uh, f- from somebody either in the, I, I, don't, I don't know who it is, but maybe a dispatcher, maybe somebody watching the video, maybe somebody in the helicopter saying, that's one bad dude. On what basis? Well, because he's black. That's it, right? And what does that's one bad dude mean? It means there's no hope for him. Right? How sad. Because if there's no hope for him, there's definitely no hope for us. Now, at that point, some of you are inclined to be like, yeah, I knew it. 
There's no hope for me. Some of us are inclined to think that because of our actions, we are impossible to save. Well, I can drive home the point, both points, by reading Romans 5.10, makes it clear that we all start out as enemies. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, it, it, it hits both sides of this error that we make. The side of thinking that it's because we're good or because we're rich or because we are born into the right family or because we ended up pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps out of the family that we were in. Whatever it is, you know, all those things that we think are why we are able to have hope. He says, you were enemies of God. And you were reconciled to him. How? Through the death of his son. Remember the shepherd has to lay down his life for the sheep. But then what does he go on to say? He says, if you were enemies and the shepherd laid down his life for you as a sheep still, right? And that reconciled you. Then much more, having been reconciled, you shall be saved by his life. The fact that he rose again, the shepherd did not just have authority to lay down his life, but also to take it back up again. And what does that mean? That means not just that we can, that, that we have, you know, the, that our punishment has been paid, but also that we will be made righteous along with him in his life. Our salvation is guaranteed that much more by the fact, not just that he laid his life down, but also that he took it up again. Those who have actually been reconciled to God, and how are you reconciled to God? You're not reconciled to God by not sinning by not being a sinner. You're reconciled to God by Jesus Christ paying the penalty for your sins. Those who have been reconciled to God have that much more hope since we know what we were when he called us. We know what we were. We were enemies. So how are we saved? We're saved by being brought into his fold. Why are we saved? Because he made us his sheep. Not because of anything you did. Not because of anything you are. And the beauty of that is, that's the only reason there's any hope for Gentiles. And it also means that 
there's hope for all of the people in your life who you think are the most hopeless. All the people that you think are the most hopeless and all the things that you look at to prove that they're the hopeless ones can't make them any more dirty than the Gentiles were. And God still made them sheep. Let's pray.